You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Let's get to the preaching of God's Word. Would you go with me to Romans chapter 7? And uh, I'm going to read out uh, the first part of uh, this section. We're not going to get to all of the chapter today. So as we get into the teaching here, this is life groaning versus grace. So in other words, what the scripture is going to tell you here in Romans chapter 7, as it's related to the rest of the book of Romans, is your life and lifestyle in Christ can be one of groaning or one of grace. I'm quite confident everyone wants to sign up for the grace train. That's what we want to be on. But many people find themselves on the groaning part of the street. And so we want to understand these things and get out of the crazy cycles of life and focus on God's grace. And so let me pray. Lord Jesus, give grace and favor to the preaching of your word that we might come into the full knowledge of Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit might live and abide vibrantly in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Say it with me. Verse 1, Romans chapter 7, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So Paul is starting out with a very simple explanation that we got to in prior weeks. We're simply saying that we are all subject to this spiritual truth called the law. The law is not bad. He will clarify that in a few verses. The law is actually good. The problem, my wonderful friends, my, the problem is us. <laughs> it's how we live in this reality in the law. And so, so there, that becomes a crazy cycle that starts. He's going to continue on. And first he's going to say, if you die, though, to the flesh, if you die to the law, it is actually not binding on you. That's why he's using that illustration. If you're dead, nothing's binding on you. Continuing on where the text says, likewise, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not an old way of the written code. So this is simply continuing on Paul's thoughts beforehand. We are actually united and identified with the cross of Jesus Christ. Will everybody say yes? We are identified with the death, then we're identified with the resurrection. And as we're identified with the cross and we're identified with the death, now, now we're died. We're dead to the flesh, we're dead to the law, and we're resurrected to Christ. It's a whole new way of living and a whole new way of thinking. So the crazy cycle works a couple different ways. And one of the ways that it works is that we, in this side of reality, this side of eternity, if you have the law and you have the flesh, it will work against you and combust. That's not good. The law and the flesh will come together to create a destruction. 
And so I've always really enjoyed chemistry. And right now we have in our cell phones a battery. This is called a lithium battery. So if you have a cell phone, you would have a lithium battery by and large. You know, I don't even know if they make a cell phone without the lithium battery in there. Do you know what a lithium battery is on the periodic charts of table? When you study this in high school, if you study in college, there's the periodic charts of table, the naturally occurring elements, and you study lithium. Do you know what it is? It's a bomb. That's what it is. And if you put enough heat on it, so lithium with enough heat will actually cause an explosion and not just a little one. Like I remember going through school and learning about these things and the profs always looking at us like, don't do this. You know, don't go mix things or whatever and make a bomb here because it can be done very easily. A little lithium, a little bit of heat, that thing can combust. And so early on with cell phones, that was actually a very serious problem. You would hear about cell phones that would actually combust. And so lithium batteries are, are powering other things. And so sometimes there's those problems as science is still learning how to control those heat elements. But for us spiritually, what I want to emphasize is that like that lithium battery, where if you put that lithium battery with enough heat, there's a combustion. So these two spiritual principles are a problem. One is true, the law, and one is not, is the flesh. You put the law and the flesh together, and that human... Manity, that person who's bound up in the law and bound up in the flesh, it's not going to go good. It's going to be a very, very serious problem. Which is why, by way of reference, Mark chapter 3, there's a story where Jesus is ministering. And most famously, there's a man in the synagogue who we would say in modern terms is special needs. He actually has something wrong with his arms. We don't know all the detail of that. But according to the Jewish custom of that day, sadly, that special needs person would have been considered unclean and not even allowed into the synagogue of God would have needed to be outside. That's like saying a person can't come to church because they have special needs. It's terrible. However, the text says there in Mark chapter 3, in order to basically trapped Jesus to see what he would do. Would he actually heal on the Sabbath? Because there were these Sabbath laws that were so important in effect, they let this man in there because they knew Jesus would do what? What is Jesus always going to do to a weak person? He's going to minister to them. What's he always going to do to somebody who needs some sort of help? He's going to help them. And so they knew it, and they wanted to trap him. It's terrible. It's just a terrible thing. And so they bring the special needs person into the synagogue because according to their man-made laws, you can't do that kind of good work. And so they watch Jesus, and they're asking him questions, and it says that his heart was broken. It was grieved, depending upon your text. His heart is grieved that God's people would act like this. And then he says, stretch out your hand and be healed. And the man's healed. And you would have thought everyone would have been happy. We would have been, if it's in our church, we'd be high-fiving and just, oh, Jesus, this is great. Oh, Jesus, this is great. No. Remember I told you about that combustion, right? Lithium and heat, flesh and law. They weren't happy about that. They had their man-centered way of thinking, and they said, Jesus must die. On the Sabbath, which we interpret these laws a certain way, which they were wrong about, you can't do that. You want to heal somebody? Wait till Monday. Monday's healing day, not Sunday. Sunday we have our certain proper ways of doing things. And so Monday is now healing day. Or properly in their days, it would have been Saturday to Sunday. In other words, they're saying, you don't do this at this time. 
And Jesus comes on the scene and says, you have taken my laws, my written word, and you have perverted it. You have made it something that's not supposed to be. Why would you not love that person who has special needs? Why would you not minister to them? Why would you not cry because of their uh, uh, illnesses and ask me to heal them and minister to them and do great miracles? Instead, you have cast them out a certain way. And so when the flesh and the law come together, there's very serious problems. And so Paul's going to continue on now, and he's going to say, well, then what shall we say? That the law is sin? He's going to say, by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not, not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Now that, what that happens there is so fascinating. Have you ever tried to say no and it doesn't work? That's all of us, right, in some way. You try and say no and it, and it just doesn't work. And sometimes you try and do good on the other side of the street and it doesn't work. You go, well, look, I'm going to get up today, and I'm going I'm to I'm you know, do things the right way. Maybe it's diet. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's how I treat people. Maybe it's in your professional career. But the law and the flesh bound together, working against you, causes just the opposite of it. And so the knowledge is an illustration here of coveting. So now I know what coveting is. Wait a minute. I covet all the time. How does that work? That's our humanity. And so all of a sudden we'll have nice things and somebody else gets a nice new car. Ever had this happen to you? One of your friends gets a nice new car. And you say, oh, I want a nice new car. You drive a nice car, but you say, I want a nice new car. And you start coveting. Or you look at a, somebody else's spouse and you go, well, I don't have a spouse like that. Or you look at somebody else's career and you say, I don't have a career like that. Or you look at somebody who got a job promotion. What did you do to get that job promotion? I don't have a job promotion like that. In other words, it's just endless. That's called coveting. But you wouldn't have known about coveting unless the scripture had not been written to tell you, you know what, friends? Sometimes we can in our humanity, the law of God and the flesh, when it comes together, you have this exposure and it can come out even in terms of coveting. The next verse is what I want you to see, though. This is really fascinating. And I'm going to tell you about this life cycle of groaning and grace in just a moment. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Now, Paul is going to say in verse 9, I was once alive apart from, what's it say in your Bible? Say it out loud. The law. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. He's going to explain it more. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Okay, let's go back to verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. Let me tell you what I think this is. I think this is easily two things. So first of all, it's most likely Paul's Damascus experience when he became born again. Remember, Paul was a Judaizer. He, was a, he had a PhD in, in uh, Judaism. So he's a religious leader, but ultimately would actually become a religious terrorist where he began to kill people who did not align with his religious belief. 
And so he's on the road to do this. He's on the way to kill more Christians. And God interrupts all of that. It's called the road to Damascus experience. And all we know is he's in some sort of trance, and we don't know all the details of this, and the experience would last for a few days. It seems that during that time, he probably had the understanding of the law and the flesh just kicked off of him. He finally knew what it was like to be born again, to have the amazing grace of God sit on you, to know that you don't have to live for the law, you don't have to live for the flesh. And I actually think this is what happens when we get saved. So that's the second application. I think this is actually what happens to Paul himself. I once was alive apart from the law, but the Bible says and the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I don't know where you're at here today, but those of us who are born again and have actually been baptized in the Spirit, what we have is a little taste, like a little taste. And sometimes it makes us crazy people when we talk to other people. You know, it's because we're like, no, look, I, I tasted. I tasted what it's like to no longer have to covet. I tasted what it's like to not have the law bound up inside me. I've actually tasted what it's like to not have the flesh dominate me. I've actually had a little taste of what it looks like to have heaven just break that apart for me and live and breathe that great, wonderful air of God's amazing grace, free from the law and free from the flesh. I've tasted it. And now I'm like a crazy person telling you about it. And that's us. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's part of the experiential nature of that. If you want a cross-reference, just read the entire book of 1 John. It's a real small book. But he's going to use the word no. He's going to use the word no. It's going to be habitual. And in the original language, it's called epigonosco, which is an experiential knowledge. In other words, knowledge and then epi is upon, so upon your knowledge, I will give you an experience of these things. And so we can actually enter in by the Holy Spirit into experience of these things where the flesh, does it get you? Does it get you? Does it get you? Church, does it get you? Yeah, yeah it gets you. can even get your pastor. And the law, the same way, but the Holy Spirit opens up heaven and lets us taste this is what we were born for, a life free from that law and free from that flesh. There's a cross-reference that I like to give to us that I've referenced for a couple of weeks. If you go back to Romans chapter 6.14, that will say, For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace for sin will not have dominion. In other words, it won't dominate your life. I can remember when sin dominated my life. You probably can remember when sin is dominating your life. I pray sin is not dominating your life anymore. And then the cross reference is into Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Again, in the same book of Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus for the law, the consistency, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is good news. Really good news. So all this is built up to understand that you can have a life of groaning or a life of grace. So let me explain this life of groaning. This is sort of the application portion of the things that Paul was talking about related to the flesh and related to the law. Here's how a life of groaning looks, and here's how it works. So the first, and it's kind of like a cycle, is that you in the flesh and by the law, you say to yourself, you say to yourself, 
I have to be somebody. Ever said that? Anybody want to be vulnerable and say you've said that to yourself? Right? Okay. So you say that to yourself. Maybe you write it in a journal. Maybe you went to some leadership class or some leadership conference or something like that. Maybe it was actually even Christian-based, which would grieve me. And you sit there and you write and you hear these things and you say, I know today I have to be somebody. That's the law and the flesh. And it's going to come together and it's going to bind and it's going to work against you because when you say that you have to be somebody, the second part of the cycle, what Paul's going to illustrate in the rest of this chapter is that not only first, by my note-taking friends, you have to be somebody, but secondly, you got to keep it up. Ever felt that? So now I have to be somebody. But it's just not I have to be somebody today, then I got to kind of keep it up. Then I got to keep it up. And then the next day, I got to keep it up. And, and that's going to work completely against you. And so first, you have to, you have to be somebody. Second, you got to keep it up. So third part of that crazy cycle, that groaning cycle, is that because of that, you burn out. And burnout ultimately leads where your spirituality now is upon your physicality. And you're actually having neurological problems. You're actually having hormonal problems inside your body. Because, because all of that spirit and soul is working so against your humanity that now you're actually not even a healthy person. You're beginning to have things. I know I had a friend of mine one time, was, <laughs> they came forward for prayer, and, uh, and we prayed for him, and it wasn't even related. And so I'm praying kind of for one thing, you know, praying in a sense for their kids, you know, and that sort of circumstance of their life. And then they, they, they said to me, they said, oh, praise the Lord, Pastor, you prayed for me. My eye twitch just went away. This is the year of the twitch. In other words, they've had so much stress and anxiety, they, they just constantly had an eye switch for a year. They didn't come forward for prayer for the eye switch. They were just enduring this, this suffering with it. I'm praying for them for something else, and then all of a sudden the spirit comes and frees them. They're like, oh, wow, my eye switch is gone. Praise the Lord, it didn't come back. That's burnout, friends. That's when your soul and your spirit is just dying inside because this flesh and this law have actually come together and they're actually having now a physical negative manifestation on you because you have to be somebody, because you have to keep it up. And now you're into burnout and burnout forth and lastly will lead to depression because the roots of depression have those things in a spiritual truth with God where you don't understand that you can have acceptance and love of God. So you don't feel loved. You don't feel accepted. That's why you got to keep all these externals up. And that's, that's part of the application of what Paul is communicating here. This is this law. The law is good. We should know about covenant. We should repent of that. We should be right with God. We should know about morality. We should know about spirituality. We should know those truths. We should understand about love and how to love God and how to love one another. We should have that. But when it combines with the flesh, it becomes destructive. And so Paul will say in verse 13, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And I kind of love that phrase, actually. You could tell he's trying to describe it, right? That sin might be sin. Some translations actually say that sin might be utterly sinful. And I can remember memorizing it to say that way. I go, yeah, that's about right. 
I mean, when I think about my stinky sin, I go, yeah, that's about right. My sin is utterly sinful. That it might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful to me beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not understand, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I'll stop there and begin to talk about the new life that Christ has for us. Because that is the life of grace. And so the life of grace works this way. First and foremost, coming to Christ. Again, by way of repetition. I'm identified with Christ on the cross. And I'm identified with his death in the grave. Which then means I'm identified with his resurrection. I have actually come to life with Jesus Christ. So the very power that got Jesus out of the grave is actually the power that's animated my life and my body and my mind and my soul and my spirit and my will. It's all coming together. That's the life of grace. So the first thing, the first thing, write this down, get it in. I'm loved and accepted by God. That's like a really good time to like, let that be known to heaven, you know? <laughs> like, you can praise the Lord on that. I'm loved and accepted by God. Romans 8.1, as I read it to you beforehand, it's, it's supernatural. I, I could not of my best day have ever dreamt these words to be possible and true. There is therefore now no condemnation. No, Lord. I condemn myself. I know myself. I, I know what I do. I know what I think. And so I, I condemn myself. The Lord says, no, I've broken that. I have broken this flesh and I have broken this law. My love and grace for you is now broken that wedge off and you are loved as a son and daughter before God and you have total and complete acceptance. You know what's so radical about that thought? Because I, if I had Romans 8.1, I would have thought Apostle Paul was into happiness or like a happy day or a happy moment. But it's actually the end of that chapter, he's going to pursue that thought and say no one has a divine right to ever come against you. In fact, he's going to describe angels and demons. He says they have no ability to come against you. There's no power. There's no principality. There's nothing. At the end of that section, Romans chapter 8, he will actually call you having done nothing, having done nothing. He's actually going to call you, what's that great phrase? More than a conqueror. You might say, well, I, I don't know if I feel like a, a conqueror, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, well, he is one, though. And that's why he's come in, to break off that law and that flesh. Because it's not your conquering, it's his conquering in and through you. It's that identify the cross, the death, the resurrection. I'm free. And so the life of grace, as opposed to the life of groaning, means that I'm loved and accepted before God. It means that you can be loved and accepted before God as a Christian. You can experience that. Secondly, all right, so you guys are going to have to hang on to this one. Okay, because this is where, so the first one when I say that, when I preach that, oh, I love my pastor. He's preaching love and grace. 
Love the ranch church. Such a nice, such a good-looking Puerto Rican man. Yeah, that's right. Okay, but it's the second one. It's the second one that takes people down. All right, this is the application of the law and the flesh being broken off. You have all the resources you need. You have all the resources you need. That's when everybody gives me a little bit of a stink eye. How you know what I need? Pastor, you see my checkbook? You see my life book? You looking at my heart? You have all the resources you need. So in Christ, you need two things. You need two things related. The first thing you need is clarity, and the second thing, according to Ephesians chapter 1, is you need a revelation. So you need this clarity, and you need this spirit of revelation. But you actually have in front of you all the resources you need. And listen, this is very practical, very pragmatic. I'm talking about if you have a financial need, those resources are in front of you. If you have a relational need, those resources are in front of you. If you have a heart need, those resources are in front of you. And what you need is for Jesus Christ and his word to give you clarity and revelation. That's what you need. That's that breakthrough. We actually guide our church as elders based on the idea and concept that every single thing we need, God has already put in front of us. And so we're actually asking him to show us. Just show us that. Give us that clarity. Give us that revelation. What is it, God, that I don't see? And I'm telling you, friends, that when we pray into it, sometimes we'll fast into it, we'll study into it, and it's like, how did I not see that before? Because it was right there. This is not a health and wealth prosperity gospel at all, but this is sufficiency in Christ, a victorious more than a conqueror. It's right in front of you. So third, the life of grace. We're talking about acceptance. We're talking about you have all the resources you need. Third is peace and perseverance. Peace and perseverance. Whatever you are going through in planet Earth or will ever go through, you have the ability to experience divine peace at such a supernatural level that nobody would believe you. Because it's a gift. And attached to that is the nature of perseverance. And that's because God has you. Ever wake up in the morning and say you quit? It's natural. And then you come to Christ and you say, okay, God, what do you say about me wanting to quit? And he says, I got you. And then you wake up the next day and you say, I want to quit again. And the Holy Spirit grabs you and says, I got you again. Because in Christ, there is a doctrine that is very powerful. It's called the doctrine of perseverance. And God's people have unique perseverance over their circumstances, unique perseverance in prayer. Some people will tell me, well, I prayed and, and it didn't happen. Well, pray again. Or soak in prayer. Just say, God, I don't understand. Just meet with me. You realize that it's God's presence that is so much of what we need. So God, present yourself. 
forth and lost for the moment under the life of grace so different than the life of groaning is the kingdom of God is your home. The kingdom of God is your home. And I, I, actually, I actually was wrestling on how best to illustrate this. And uh, I actually was going to bring a hula hoop this morning. I decided not to. So you all would think I'd try to hula hoop in front of you. I'm not going to do that. And then I thought about an umbrella, you know, and then we could walk around with a little umbrella or whatever. But I'm going to tell you this. This tent right now, our church is under a tent, and it's a decent-sized tent. This tent illustrates well the kingdom of God. Imagine this tent. You're, the, you're inside it. You're the only one inside it, and it can elevate and lift up and follow you wherever you go. And so long as you stay under this tent, under the covering of it, you possess everything you need. You are not to go outside of that. That would be the law in the flesh. And if you're smart, you wouldn't go to the edge of it. <laughs> Some people are edge people. They're not the middle of the tent people. They're like on the edge. They're like, well, it's a little hot on the edge. You know, like, okay, well, then, then get underneath the middle of the tent. And it will follow you around because the kingdom of God is like a covering. And it comes with supernatural power. And it comes with supernatural promises. It's not an ordinary life. It's an extraordinary life. The kingdom of God being your home is a life of discipleship, which means what does the word of God want to teach me today about my humanity and how to grow? And there it is. That's discipleship, learning. It means that there's spiritual victories and there's spiritual warfare because I'll experience opposition. And I'm not surprised by opposition. I understand I'll, I'll, I'll experience that. And so now I'm going to stay in the middle of this tent as I go around in life under the kingdom of God. And I will actually experience the victories that God has for me. I will endure as God wants me to endure. And I will see him be glorified. Paul, of course, is explaining some of his own challenges that he had in there as an apostle to which I'm so deeply grateful because it illustrates that we're all human. The flesh and the law come together to deceive you to think that some Christian somewhere out there is a superstar. And so stereotypically, we think of it maybe as a pastor or maybe like as an apostle or maybe as a missionary. There are no superstars. You know who's a superstar? Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's the only one. We're his sons and daughters underneath his tent enjoying his glory. Amazed at his grace. Experiencing supernatural strength way beyond our humanity. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.